As you take your seat, if you'll turn with me to our scripture text this morning, which is taken from, or is, Psalm 139. I'll be reading all of Psalm 139 as it is the inspiration and text for today's message. It's on page number 974 in your pew Bibles, if you want to turn to it there. The 139th Psalm. Before I read that, let me just kind of give a brief introduction to this, to this Psalm 139, what I often call a super Psalm. Because it's full of superlatives of the nature and character and works of God who is awesome. Superlatives. I've always been fascinated by a study of youth culture down through the decades, superlatives in youth culture. Way back in the 50s, if something was keen or slick, the 60s, boss or groovy, remember that? Probably not. Awesome, totally awesome, cool, moving on, radical, Radically cool, gnarly, or dope, or the bomb, or if you're from New England, wicked, wicked excellent. Here in the Bible we have God described with superlatives such as indescribable, uncontainable, incomparable, all-powerful, untamable, awesome, amazing, wonderful, incredible. Extraordinary, exceptional, and the list goes on and on. This psalm exalts superlative attributes of God. In this psalm, in the first seven, six verses, we see God as all-knowing. In the next stanza, verses 7 through 12, we see God as all-present. And then, Moving down through the next several verses, we see God revealed in His power. He is all-powerful. The three omnis, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipotent, or omnipresent, um, His presence. So, as we look at this psalm, David sings such knowledge as too wonderful, Too lofty for me to attain. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Precious thoughts. Not in an esoteric, abstract, detached, or disconnected way. Precious thoughts. Rather, Practically interwoven with the fabric of our common everyday life as we read this. Therefore, it has great significance and relevance and meaning for you and me today. Here in the 21st century, precious thoughts. Oh, may they become our thoughts today. Listen as I read Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, 
when I perceive my thoughts from af- you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, oh, you know it completely, O oh Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up into the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn or settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me are written in your book before one of them came to be. How vast! To me are your thoughts, O God. How vast, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. And then skipping down to verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Who is like him? To whom shall we compare God and his awesome superlative being? Let's first think about God's all-knowing, his omniscience. God knows it all. Verses 1 through 6. As you hear that, what is your response? I would suggest to you there is comfort and there is also discomfort in knowing that we are known by God. The comfort of knowing that we are known in this psalm reminds us that every single detail of our personal lives, when we sit and when we rise and everything in between, therefore, when we go out and we come in and everything in between, Even before a word is on my tongue, God knows it. Think about that. Sometimes we don't think, we don't know what we're going to say. Before we say it, we blurt it out. But God knows even before we say a word, what we're going to say. I knew you were going to say that, right? Therefore, nothing escapes his notice, whether great or small. The sparrow that falls in the field, Jesus said, does not escape God's notice. Even the numbers of hairs on your head, whether they be great 
or small, diminishing, perhaps. Precious thoughts, comforting thoughts. Sometimes I read Psalm 139 when I'm feeling anxious and worried because it reassures me that God knows all about my troubles. He knows our every need, our joys and our sorrows, our hurts and our heartaches. God knows. He knows it all. There's comfort in knowing that we are known, but there's also discomfort sometimes in knowing this, that we are being known. Intimacy can be intimidating sometimes. Don't get too close. Are you holding God at arm's length today? Notice in this psalm, there's some spiritual ambivalence. No secrets from the Lord. Ooh, sometimes we'd rather some things not be known. It's kind of a spiritual ambivalence or maybe even paranoia. The neurotic effect of sin, I call it. Our sins affect our relating to God, our relationship with God. It's impacted by our sin and our guilt. Just like Adam and Eve playing hide and seek with God in the Garden of Eden back in the beginning. Naked and ashamed. Hide, quick. God knows all things. And that brings comfort and discomfort. That's illuminating. Well, God knows all things because he is there. Always, everywhere. Think about that. His omnipresence, his all-presence. God is here and there and everywhere, all present. And again, there's a balance of comfort and discomfort. The discomfort of his presence. Notice in this psalm, there's no escape from his holy presence. Sometimes we feel like God's presence is holy, heavy. Smothering, oppressive presence. Where can I flee from your presence? David sings. Nowhere. I'm trapped. The hound of heaven. If you've ever read that poem by Francis Thompson. Ever become aware that someone's watching you at the wrong time? Perhaps your mother, perhaps your wife. When you're doing something she told you not to do. Never happens in my life like that, but. Or your boss, when you're goofing off. Just can't hide from God. Can't hide in the heavens or the depths. From one end of the earth to the other, from the east to the west. The shadows of the darkest night. Just ask Jonah. As he fled from God's call in his life, went the opposite direction of Nineveh where God told him to go, ended up in the belly of a fish, burped out on the beach to go and do what God told him to do. Right? There is discomfort in God's presence, but there is tremendous comfort in his presence. 
when we hide out, listen to this, when we hide out, we soon realize that there are even more scary things about our hideouts than what we're hiding from. Let me say that again. When we're hiding out, we often or soon realize that there are scarier things about our hideouts, our hiding places, than the things we're hiding from. Darkness, aloneness, perceived dangers. Even when we run and hide, yet his hand will guide us. His right hand will hold us fast. That's comforting news. As I read this, as I say this, I have a mental image of a child being firmly and lovingly restrained by his father, kicking and screaming, yelling, let me go, let me go, till finally he gives up and gives in. Struggle is useless. He's worn out. There's no way to get away. Only to realize that the arms of restraint are the very arms of love and embrace. That's the way it is with God. Jesus says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I will never leave you nor forsake you, no matter how dark the situation, how disquieting the circumstances. God knows, and he is present with you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. God is with us, even in the shadows of death and mortality. Sometimes my kids used to wake up with bad dreams, scared from a nightmare, things that go bump in the night. Monsters under the bed, and almost always, just the comfort of parental presence. I've said it before, I'd go upstairs and lie on the bedroom floor besides my kids, and I'd fall asleep before they would, but my presence would bring comfort, asleep or not. God knows, and God is always present. One reason God knows us so well is he made us. He's the one who made us. And we see here the supreme example of God's power, his all-powerfulness, his omnipotence. Verses 13 through 17. Probably the greatest manifestation of God's power is the miracle And the marvel of human birth. Think about it. God's deliberate and intentional design for you and me when we were made. Yes, he created the heavens and the earth, the universe and the galaxies. Yes, he created the mountains and the oceans. But his creating a living, breathing Image of himself, thinking human beings, even in in my mother's womb. Every year when I get to this Sunday, I think about 
My son's birthday, Andy was born January 19th, a few days ago, his birthday, 36 this year. And I remember when he was born. And I thought to myself, you can't witness something like the birth of a baby. I was present for that birth. You can't witness that and not marvel. You can't witness that and be an atheist and not believe the intelligence of God's perfect design. Let's think about that. The first implication of these verses and of this truth is the dignity and value of human life. Don't let anyone tell you that you are worthless, that you don't have significance. The inescapable application is that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Verse 14. There's been no mistake. It breaks my heart whenever I have heard someone say, well, my mother, when she would get angry, said, you were, ne- you were a mistake. You should never have been born. Can you imagine having a parent say that kind of thing? Well, in God's sight, there are no mistakes. There is no mistake. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well, David sings. In fact, all the days ordained for me are written in your book before one of them came to be. God's personal plan and purpose for you and for me is a tremendous affirmation of how prized and precious you are, how valuable, how much worth you have. Because God made me. I am His handiwork, as Hector was saying. This week I did a funeral down in South Jersey for an old friend, and the family asked for several scriptures to be read. So they asked for me to read Psalm 23, which I always do at a funeral, John 14, which is a powerful passage that I read in most funerals. But they also pulled in Isaiah 46.4. And I said, you know, I can't quite think of what that is. What is Isaiah 46.4? Well, I looked it up and read it. and It has significance for this point right here the dignity and value and intentionality of God's plan for your life. God says to his people in the Old Testament, Isaiah 46, 4, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all you who remain of the house of Israel, you whom I have upheld since you were conceived and have carried since your birth. Think of it. God It's holding you from the point of conception, caring for you, designing for you. And here's a second verse that I just love this. The next verse, verse 4 says, Even in your old age and gray hairs. That doesn't affect most of you, but it's great for me. Even in your old age and gray hairs, I am he, I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and rescue you. This psalm and these words has great implications and applications for 
the value and significance of each of our individual lives. And it also has implications and applications for today's Christian. In this contemporary society in the year 2022, you can't escape the affirmation of the sanctity of unborn children, especially in an age that has come, life has come to mean so little in this day. Abortion on demand is still the law of the land. The Supreme Court decision, Roe v. Wade, 49 years ago, as of yesterday, January 22nd, 1973. Therefore, every year we think about this being the closest Sunday to that this, that anniversary. We think about the Sanctity of Life Sunday. I read in World Magazine today, or yesterday, on January 22nd, 19, 1973, the U.S. Supreme Court legalized abortions. In all 50 states, Washington, D.C., and U.S. territories, by permitting a mother to take the life of her unborn child at any time during the pregnancy. This right has been exercised more than 59 million times since that fateful day in America. I read another source. Abortion is the lead, listen to this. Abortion is the leading cause of death globally in 2021. With nearly 43 million unborn babies killed in the womb. According to Worldometer that studies these statistics. As of noon, December 31st, 2021, There were 42.6 million abortions performed in the course of last year. Worldometer revealed while 8.2 million people died from cancer, off 5 million died from smoking, 1.7 million died from AIDS, a scourge in the land, 1.3 million in traffic fatalities. One million worldwide died from suicide. Totaling all the deaths in the world from causes other than abortion reveals a figure of 58.7 million, meaning that abortions counted for just over 42% of all human deaths in 2021. By comparison... Worldwide deaths from coronavirus, which we're all very rightfully concerned about these days, totaled around 3.5 million, according to the World Health Organization. Startling figures to consider. Plus, get this, 10 days ago, January 13th, 2022, New Jersey legislators passed what has been called the Freedom of Reproductive Choice Act. I didn't realize this till I read it in the Brick Patch this week. 
This law and its accompanying law expand and protects reproductive freedom in New Jersey at a time when the U.S. Supreme Court considers whether to limit or overturn the ruling of Roe v. Wade. With this legislation, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, the right to reproductive choice would be protected in New Jersey. Christians, whatever political party, whatever political stripe you are, all Christians need to be aware of what's happening in our state today. In New Jersey, we trust that each individual person We trust each individual person to make their reproductive choices for themselves, says Governor Murphy. With Roe v. Wade under attack, he says, today's historic legislation makes clear that New Jersey's position in supporting the right to reproductive choice remains protected. This legislation serves as meaningful and tangible increase access to reproductive health care and ensure New Jersey residents are now and will remain in control of their reproductive choices. Did you know that this is happening this month? Plus, feel like things are getting better when you read from the CDC, U.S. CDC, announcing the decline of the number of surgical abortions in the United States. On the surface, that seems like, sounds like good news. We welcome the news that this procedure is on decline. Late-term abortion, partial birth abortions. What's alarming, as I read is the corresponding rise of so-called chemical abortions. These types of abortions are caused not by instruments, but by chemicals crafted to cause disruption in the development of a beginning pregnancy. In other words, the abortion pill. The use of pharmaceuticals to cause an abortion became legal in the year 2000, Recently, government regulations permitted the use of such drugs up to the 10th week of pregnancy. According to a report from Planned Parenthood, the single largest provider of abortion services in America, 43% of its abortion services back a few years was for chemical abortions, pharmaceutical Abortion pill. What is our response, church? What shall we say to this? We must be awakened. We must be shaken awake. I love it whenever I say, wake up, church. Especially at the end of a message. Another quote, what I read this week, as Satan attacks and systematically eliminates the Christian church at conception. The Christian community is still barely beginning to yawn. Today's Christian and today's Christian church must stand up for life. Today's Christian church must stand up against the greatest 
social injustice of our day. Yes, stand for social justice. The biggest issue in my mind is that of life. Plus, listen, today's Christian and today's Christian church must stand for women in crisis. We're not standing against people. We are standing with them and we're standing for them with compassion, with mercy and grace. Extend compassion and grace for those considering abortion and those who have had abortions. I know many who have had abortions. Our role is to love them, care for them, offer grace and compassion, not condemnation. After comfort, offer comfort and tangible support, not judgment. Support the local pregnancy care center, the Crisis Pregnancy Care Center, as our United Methodist women do, supporting our local CPC. Church, we need to stand for life. We need to stand against injustice, but we need to stand with all people. It's time that we take responsibility. Repent for our silence. Take a stand, let our witness be heard, and it's time to show compassion and love to mothers in crisis. I can say with confidence that there are women in our congregation, there are families in our congregation that abortion has been a part of. We need to offer forgiveness and grace to all For all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God loves. God forgives. Can we do anything less? For God is all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful. God loves you. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, God loves you and offers you His amazing grace and healing by His mercy. Let us Offer mercy and grace. Make an effort to reach into the hurting lives of those in our day. As the psalmist closes, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would work in our hearts to search our hearts, to see where we are hiding, to see where we need forgiveness and to convict us, to move in our hearts to bring grace and truth, like Jesus, full of grace and truth. Help us to live as your ambassadors in this world, in this culture, in this society, to bring words of light, and words of love. Help us, O God, to live like you would live, like you do live in our midst. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.